Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with Brian Siegler. I am Curtis Wilson. Brian, how are you today, man? I am good, buddy. I am good. How are you? I'm exhausted, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Man. What you been up to, dude? Day at work and then a 5.30 baseball game with my oldest son. Um, Got lucky, though. One of those baseball games where, like, the, the storms were coming in, but they missed us. So we got the wind. We got some cool weather. Um, good game, fast game. We had two teams with six- and seven-year-old boys who were hitting the ball. So doing okay. pitch, man, if the kids are hitting the ball, you're balling. It's like six innings in under an hour. And uh, good, fun game. And literally, we beat – the monsoon that hit here in the West End, like literally I was like five steps from my car and the bottom dropped out. Oh, man. <laughs> we got lucky on this end, actually. I uh, I was driving back from work and I hit up, uh, I was picking up some uh, a prescription from, from my wife and the wind starts rolling in. I just see the, the, uh, the clouds coming our way and, uh, like blowing so hard that when at the drive through at the uh, the pharmacist they couldn't even hear what I was saying hardly, and then five minutes later like everything just started to break up, oh, wow. and we got a little bit of rain, a little bit of wind after that, but it looked like it was going to be you know torrential downpour, and then it turned out to be pretty much just a little bit of a shower there, and it moved on out. Nice man. Well, dude, you just got back. How's vacation down at the lake? Man, vacation was great. Great. We got to actually, first time uh, in about a year and a half, we got to spend ex- extended time with my brother and his fiance. so that was kind of cool. Um, they're getting married next year, so it's going to be pretty big time. Um, we got to spend a week with them. We got to spend a week with um, my uh, my dad, so it was, it was, it was a good time. And, uh, you know, hit up the pool, hit up the lake. Did, uh, did some uh, hiking and things like that. So it was a good time, man. Awesome. And, and, and for those of you, talk, Brian just mentioned like he hadn't seen one of his brothers in a long time. Brian, this is your brother that if some of these folks drove up to New York and looked at some Broadway, off-Broadway shows, they might see his name in the lights. Like, yeah, so my, uh, my my brother was recently in uh, in Fiddler on the Roof, um, off-Broadway. Um, so, you know, pretty, pretty big deal. They got, you know, a cast album and all that thing. So, you know, he, he's really doing some pretty big things up there. So very proud of him. And, uh, I got to see the show, uh, last April. So that was an awesome experience. And then obviously right now, everything's kind of shut down through the rest of the year. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their thing, but unfortunately they've got a lot more time on their hands than they'd like to have. So, and, uh, his, uh, fiance is also, in music theater as well, so they're kind of both in the same boat there. Uh, that sucks, man. I mean, especially I know he. I remember the fiddler, and you told me he got that, and uh, you were going up there to see him, and it's awesome that he is continuing to chase that dream. Um, but at least you got to see him. At least they're doing good. Um, and glad you had a good vacation, man. You deserved it. You deserved it. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, it was a long time coming. You know, we make this trip pretty much every year, so we always, you know, have it on the calendar, something to look forward to. So, you know, we had a little bit of a excursion around July 4th, but this was the big one. This was the one for the week, and, you know, it's just nice to get away for a little bit, relax. We didn't really go a whole lot of places while we were there. We just kind of stuck around the lake and 
the surrounding uh, surrounding area. So it was it was a nice time. And sometimes that's all you really need is just to get away. All right. Well, folks, today, as you guys haven't seen the tweet, we have a very special guest coming up in a few minutes. But we've got some headlines and some news to get to, man. So, Brian, I'm going to take us right to it. We've got some commitments. Let's start with commitments. Commitments. Yeah. Not one, not two, but three commitments in the last few days here. Let's go back. EC at 2-2, the three-star, 205 linebacker out of Cox down in the 757. Brian, I know you looked at his take. How do you feel about this guy? Is he going to be able to play Mike or backer, or are you seeing something different with him? I think he's probably going to project more backer, but I think he could potentially grow into a Mike. We'll, you know, time will tell here. Um you know, it, it's showing that Virginia Tech is still keeping an eye on the 757, contrary to popular belief, I think. Um, uh, keeping an eye down there in, uh, in Tidewater. So, um, you know, Frank Cox High School, um, he, he's a player though. I, I like his tape. I think he's right now a guy that is probably rated a little bit lower than where I think his talent is. I'm not saying he's like a, you know, borderline four star guy, but I think he's better than the 83, 84 range. Um, where his uh, his projections are right now, so I'd put him at 85, 86, kind of that you know mid to potentially high three star range, um, or at least on the fringe of it. And uh, I think he's going to do good things. I think you know he's a guy that's probably going to need a little seasoning, but I, I think with a couple years under the system, he's going to do some good things for us. So I, I like the, the the grab there. And uh, let's see who else we got. We got somebody else here. Um, Definitely got a couple other guys, but Trey Curry, right? Trey Curry, yeah, the uh, three-star, six-foot-four, two hundred and ten-pound wideout out of Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, this kid last season, um, twelve hundred total yards, eighteen <laughs> touchdowns. Um, you know, he, we were amongst the ten, um, his top ten back in April, along with somebody like places like Auburn, A and M, and Nebraska. Um, but he picked the Hokies. Now, not without controversy, because back in May, there was a report he had committed to the University of Tennessee. And then some things happened, and that just like like a very ugly situation. But you know what? He's with the Hokies now. Brian, um, when you study this six foot four, 210-pound wideout tape, tell me what he's going to do for us. Well, he's a guy that, you know, Potentially is going to grow into that same role that, that Hazleton had. I think he's a, he's a big body guy. Um, he's a guy that, that catches the ball well with his hands. And I mean, just look at the, the ratings there. I mean, we're talking about a fringe, um, four star caliber talent. He's ranked 88 on 247 and right at, a, at 88 in his uh, composite there. So, um, you know, high caliber three star talent. And yeah, I really like the tape. Um, I think again, he's, he's a guy that might need a little bit of seasoning, but just size alone, um, kind of, like I said, projecting into that Hazleton role or, or at least it may be in the shorter term doing some of the things that, that Phil Patterson has done for us the last couple of years before he transferred out. So, um, really like this pickup, probably the, you know, the best, uh, caliber, uh, wide receiver we picked up, I think in this class at this point. 
definitely for sure. Definitely the higher caliber. You're saying he's right at that 88, which means, I mean, we're probably not looking at a high school football season, but is it one of those things where they reevaluate him and he gets to that 89, he gets the fourth star, um, and becomes sort of the headline of the, uh, of the wide receiver class we have? Because, you know, I think with that body, you, you immediately, you talk about seasoning, but you see a body that size, if he's already got the jump ball in his back pocket, Potential time, hey, you're going to be inside the 15. Your routes aren't going to be difficult, but here's your here's what you're going to do. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think the combination of him and uh, and Jalen Jones, I mean, that's that's two really good guys that I think, even based on their ranking here, might be slightly underrated. Um, you know, Jalen being, I think, like the 86, 87 range, and then uh, Trey Curry here being right at the 88. I think both of them are probably fringe um, four star talents. Um, you know, I think both of them, for, for one reason or another, are getting a little bit shortchanged on their ranking, and I think they're probably going to overplay that, um, especially in their full career. And um, I think Trey has the potential to overplay it even early on just because of the size that he brings to the table. Yes, I agree with that. But, Brian, the Hokies were not done. Malachi Thomas. Now, Malachi, currently not rated by 247. He is a three-star by rivals. The six foot, 180 pound running back out of Hart County down in Georgia. Man, 3A offensive player of the year as a junior. Um, almost 3,000 all purpose yards, which is just asinine. Oh yeah. Um, and has only, only a few P5 offers. Us, Duke and Kansas State, but he also had your big group of five. He had UCF, Memphis and Cincy. Um, I know you checked out his tape just a little earlier today. What do you think, man? This is tape that jumps off at you, and it's insane that somehow this guy did not get on the radar of the guys that are throwing out rankings because, I mean, I would throw – I'd be comfortable right here, right now, just looking at the tape throwing an 87 or 88 on this guy. Um, quality talent, man, quality talent. Um, versatile, which, I mean, I know we've talked about a lot, versatility both – in the skill positions and along the the line there, but I think that's another thing he brings to the table. He's not your your, your black shearer, your chance black. That's mostly a receiving threat, but he's he's still a between the tackles guy. He's still a guy that's gonna you know give you every down potential. Um, but on tape, running um, you know from the from the backfield, running up the seam, catching the seam for a touchdown, um, running the angle route. Running a wheel, he's not just a guy that's catching screens and dumps, um, you know, in the flat. He's somebody that's still going to be a route threat out of the backfield, but he's going to do all those things between the tackles. Um, if if there's one criticism, he probably runs a little, little too straight up, but that's not something that I think is a deal breaker, um, especially if you're effective with your your vision, and he is. Um, and he's another guy, he's got specialty, he does punt returns, kick returns. So, you know, he's got all those skills that he's bringing to the table that he's done at a high school level and, and done it very successfully. So I really like the kid. Like I said, I, I'm not sure what, uh, the August rankings are going to hold in terms of him getting a, uh, a ranking on two, four, seven or any of the other, um, ranking, uh, agencies there, but, you know, I, like I said, I would put probably 87 on him just out the gate and, and, and see where he goes from there. It looks like he is going to get a senior season, unlike some of the, the players in North Carolina and Virginia, unless something changes. So we might get some more tape on him as well. So that would be nice to get as well. 
Absolutely, yeah. I, I got a chance to watch some of this Huddle film from last year, and I'm going to tell you the one thing that steps out, stands out to me, not as knowledgeable as you about seeing his vision and seeing the routes he runs, his stride. It is very effortless. It doesn't. There are times where he's running away from guys, and it like you if you you watch that tape, it's like, is he even running that fast? And you just see him like, oh, no, that, he's 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 oh oh what he's still. So it tells me with that stride that there could be like the sixth gear where potentially it comes out and where he can just turn it on even further and just blow by people. So it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he's got that, uh, you know, looks like that extra gear. I mean, I think he was uh, on 247, they had him as a, a hand clock time at like a 451. So, I mean, even if he's, you know, half a tenth off, that's still a pretty damn good time um, for a running back. And like you said, he looks like he uh natural strider and he's got an extra gear. You know, some, some people are fast, but then they – aren't fast in pads. He's fast in pads. So yeah. I think that's a big thing to look at as well. Absolutely, man. Well, Brian, maybe I hope the fans at home listening, they understand what type of Hokie podcast is. Is We're not all rah-rah. We're not, you know, positive everything. We're realists. And the realists hit us over the weekend. Um, the four-star safety. It did. Alvin yeah. oh. McMillan commits to Florida. Over Virginia Tech, um, let's let's say it, man. DMC, DMC. We had the nickname <laughs> all there, um, but that I, I was gonna be dropping Run DMC and Delorean memes <laughs> for like the next four years, and now I don't get to, and I'm so sad about it. At damn Cabana, <laughs> at damn Cabana, at Florida. Damn the Florida, Florida. Why why you gotta have all that cool shit? <laughs> Money. Why? <laughs> it's called money. <laughs> um, now, I looked at him and saw him as being a free safety. Florida has a lot of safeties right now. So, I mean, I don't know if it's one of those things. A lot of folks are saying they're selling the strong safety to him, which if that's the case, you kind of look at the other guys on there who they committed last year and this year. They're not strong safeties. And if that's what they sold him, like we're going, we want you to be down in the box, makes sense. Where with us, we probably could sell both, but I really see that being Jalen Stroman. And then I look at DMC and I think you're six, two and a half. You're right at 200. You're already, you're already built like a free safety if you've got the range. Yeah. Um, it sucks we lost to him, but Ron, I'm going to say something and this is going to be the positivity side coming out. All right. We got three commits. And we, we mentioned who Trey and Malachi, who we beat out for them. For Issa, we beat out NC State and West Virginia. And I think what I hope the realest of the fan base, like me and you, understand is we can win a lot of fights against NC State, West Virginia, Kansas State, um, Duke. Um, the Trey Curry one, that seemed a little more pushy. There were some good players there, but were certain things acting up. But we can fight with those guys. When you start bringing battles with your Alabamas, your Floridas, your Georgias, Clemsons, that's we're a cruiserweight. Yep. They're a heavyweight. Can we also talk about how Florida knows how to negatively recruit us? <laughs> how many Hokies on staff? Because of Torian Gray at all. Um, <laughs> 
they they know they know how to negative recruit us, and they also know that they've got a lot of leverage that we don't have, and they can play that leverage in ways that we can't. Um, that's not to say that we shouldn't go out there and win some of these battles against these blue bloods. We definitely need to start doing that. At the same time, though, we got to be real with the situation and understand that there's things Florida offers that we can't, and there's opportunities that Florida offers that right now we're not quite there. Um, <clears throat> and I think we're doing a good job in, in pickups like Malachi Thomas and Trey Curry and Issy Tuesday that speaks to we're, we're finding guys that are kind of fringe in that, that, uh, that four-star range in terms of their, their talent and probably potentially could overplay uh, what they're, either what their ranking is now or what we even anticipate for them um, based on our reviews. So, you know, I think we're doing some good things in that thing, but just I really like D, uh, DMC a lot, and so this one this one stings a little bit more. And not again, nickname aside, I liked I liked having the nickname. I liked the potential there, but you know, the, the kid was pretty good too, and uh, just the way he interacted with the fan base and everything. He he was he wasn't someone that was leading you on, but he was also engaging, which is hard to find with a guy that hadn't committed yet. Yep. So I, I really appreciated that, and um, you know, it's a it's a tough loss for us. Absolutely. He's a good player, and you could just tell he's an overall really good kid. So it, it does suck we lose him. Hopefully they keep recruiting him, and Florida gets another safety commit, and he says, oh, that's my only hope. All right, um, There's still a possibility out there. It's not signing day yet. All right, Brian, just a quick hitter, man. Um, I'm going to throw this out there. Um, Odak canceled the season. You all right? I think I'm going to make it. I think I'm going to make it. Um, it's tough to see. Uh, it does mean that I don't get to see, hopefully, the uh, the Tigers beat up on Macon this year. Um, I was hoping that this was going to be one of those years where the, where they finally take a step back in the right direction since they've kind of been down uh, probably the last four or five years. They've struggled recruiting Richmond, and they've struggled a little bit recruiting some of the Tidewater talent in the last few years, so it's kind of been a little bit down for them. They got, they've gotten back in Tidewater a little bit. They still haven't uh, cracked the 804 bubble that uh, Pedro Aruza has put up around uh, Greater Richmond here. So, you know, we'll see if they have long-term success. But, unfortunately, we're not going to get to see what they do this fall. Yeah, my, my hope is for D3, they just say spring season. And and maybe that that's where they find a niche. They go to the spring season and it's, hey, this is good. It's the weather's, the weather's a little better. Um, maybe we can get some TV deals out of this where we're, we're you know, playing on whatever you can think of. But, uh, and I know that hitch in, you know, let's, let's cross fingers that maybe mid February they do a 10 game season and me and you can drive up to Ash. Is the game in Ashland or is it down in, uh, Farmville this year? Oh man, I think it's in Farmville this year. Maybe we can drive down. All right, Brian, a few weeks ago, me and you discussed that two positions had been posted. Yep. Buddy, we talked about how nice it would be to see some former players. And, buddy, did the staff deliver on that? Corey two Fuller. Two big ones, man. Jerome Gavell Winslow, back on staff. What you think? I uh, honestly love both hires and – both positions that they ended up getting there, um, especially with uh, Corey taking over 
um, the assistant to the on-campus oh, um, yeah. role. I think that's going to be great for him. Um, <laughs> that that's really we had we had talked about it. And like I can't think of a better person to sell the program to with guys coming to junior days, guys coming to um, game weeks, guys coming to weeks in the uh, in the off season. All right, so you got a guy who pretty much his entire family played here. Uh, Hold on. He, pretty much he had been on campus since 2002 until he and his brother graduated. They were there for like 15 years. He took a brief break while he went and ran track, and yep. then he came to Virginia Tech and played wide receiver for us and then played the NFL for a little bit. And now he's back here with us after a, uh, a brief stint with um, – Looks like it was a college up in uh, Central Michigan, up there in Michigan, yeah, Central Michigan, yeah. He was so. Uh, he was, yeah, he was a, okay. So, yeah, uh, so I mean, that's you know, again, I can't think of a better uh, better family representative to um, to be to be that point of contact on campus on those days for those uh, those recruits than Corey. And as far as Winslow, I mean, I, I really liked him. We we had always talked about how much we liked him when he was a player here and. You know, it looks like he's got some experience that he's bringing to the table as well, and it's nice for him to get some Power Five experience at his alma mater, um, doing doing this type of role. So I'm I'm looking forward to see what he can do there. He's already been active on Twitter, um, engaging with um, fans and engaging with uh, people that are talking smack from other teams, which I like to see. I like to see. So um, yeah, it should be fun having him on as well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what both of these guys are able to do. Absolutely. Corey, um, you mentioned the GA stuff up at Central Michigan. He also had done a brief internship down at Maryland with the athletic program. And he also had done, like, at the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, one of the, like, senior bowl games. He had done some work with that back in um, 2018 as well. Um, so he's definitely – he's kind of built up his way. Um, Gavea Winslow, right out of high college – 2014, he coached um, DBs up at Stonebridge up in Northern Virginia. Then he went out to Hawaii with his dad, was an assistant coach on the defensive line as like a GA. Um, he'd been down at Brevard um, in 2017. He had done associate head coach, special teams coordinator, safeties. So in the course of about six years, he's really worked his way up. And I think as much as you talk about having um, Corey in the perfect role, you hear about what Gavea Winslow has done, and it sounds like they got another great fit. You know, Gavea Winslow, undersized linebacker, when he was with Tech playing the whip, but he was a good player. He was a very smart player. Yep. And then he, he's coached defensive back. He's coached safeties. He's coached line. He's done special teams coordinating. That's the kind of guy you won't break down video because, you know, hey, we need to go offer this guy. Yeah. And, and, you, and probably for Coach Fuente, it's like, I don't worry. He's done so much on the defensive side of the ball. I give him tape on a guy. I don't care what position he is. He is going to probably get and break it down and say he has potential. Like now we need to lay off this guy. So love both. Love, love Gabriel Winslow today. <laughs> when he put up that little, uh, the, the, the Carolina fan comes after him. He just puts up the stat line. It's like, uh, yep. Yeah, now you have to be quiet because he just put up facts. Yep. Um, but. Yeah, then they came back with, uh, we've been rebuilding the last four years. Yeah, you were re- rebuilding in 2016 when you were ranked in the top 20 when we played you and blew you out during the hurricane. Oh, uh, <laughs> again, some fan bases 
hate that facts stand in the way of arguments. So <laughs> there's stubborn things, man. There's stubborn things. Damn facts. All right, Brian. Um, let's hit one more topic before we uh, move on. Um, as of right now, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 have kind of pushed off the announcements of um, you know, what they're going to do with their season. I mentioned to you a little earlier. Brian, how many – there are four teams in the SEC and the ACC that have rivalry games every year, right? Yeah. They yeah. want to try to keep them together. It makes sense. Some of those go back – I think Georgia Tech, Georgia goes back to like 1891. It's, it's a long one. <laughs> I literally think Macon Sydney is the only other uh, South rivalry game that has that sort of longstanding thing. But, Brian, that leaves 10 teams – in the ACC and the SEC. You know how many teams are in the Big 12 now? How many, man? Ten. Ah. Hmm. Something's lining up here. Huh. Now, I mean, we are speculating, but to me, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to look at either an eight or nine plus one, where they can get at least one out-of-conference game. Um Will it happen? Maybe, maybe not. If, you know, there's hot spots, especially you got the schools down in Texas, you got Miami and Florida State. Like, some places like teams might not want to go. But it's one of those things where, you know, there's so many possibilities. And I know a lot of people will say, well, well, the ACC has the far north schools, Pittsburgh and Syracuse and Boston College. They do, but. They also are major hub cities. Like, you can get a charter plane to go from, you know, Manhattan, Kansas State, to Boston without an issue. Yeah. You can fly out of Pittsburgh and go anywhere in this country. They're, they're big airports. So that really doesn't hurt it that much because it's easy in and easy out. Literally, the players should get on a plane in three hours, land in pit, get on a bus, go in, warm up. Three hours later, start a football game, bus back to the stadium, fly back to campus all in one day. And I think that's what a lot of people are really – that's what you got to keep your eye on. Can we – if we kick off at 3.30, if we get to the airport at 5 a.m., it's a four-hour flight, hour to the stadium. I have a feeling these schools are really going to work together and say, hey, listen, this is where you guys can warm up. Yeah. This is where you guys can do everything. We'll, we'll, we'll change our routine because – we want college football to happen. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's it's not really outside of the, the realm of imagination here either because we're talking about under more normal circumstances, some of these teams would be making these travel arrangements regardless. Yeah. Um, not, you know, they're not everybody's playing, you know, uh, a game that is out of conference that's, you know, right around the corner. Some Some teams are already making those longer travels. And as you mentioned, logistically, it's not really – that big of a deal in terms of getting from the middle of the country, even to Boston for like an A&M traveling to BC or something like that. So I definitely think it's doable. Um, the question is, you know, will they end up setting something up um, where I think the local logistics are going to be the harder part than the travel logistics. Yeah. Um, and if they can make the local logistics work, I think they'll probably try to get something done. Absolutely. Boundary Corner Podcast listeners, today we have a very special guest with us. Four-year starting offensive lineman, John McLaughlin. 
Uh, John, how are you doing today, man, with this crazy heat? Man, I'm doing great, man. Thank you all for having me. Uh, can't complain, and I'm trying to stay inside. Uh, you know, how hot it is outside right now in Richmond. <laughs> I'd say, man, we got uh, got that hot Richmond weather right now. It yeah. Man, I couldn't imagine running out right now. You know, I, my girlfriend told me I need to stop running outside, so. Oh, oh man. No, 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 no. Don't do that. <laughs> I was outside with my son uh, hitting a little baseball. For, we were like 20 minutes, and, like, he's soaked and I'm soaked. It's like. Oh, yeah. Right now. Oh, yeah. This time of year is not fun. Exactly, um, exactly. We really appreciate you joining us here. Um, it's definitely. It's awesome to have you. Uh, I'm sure, I don't know if Brian talked to it. We got kind of a reason we reached out to you. Um, okay. Uh, Brian, go ahead, man, because this is, this is a cool connection for us. Yeah, so, uh, you know, full disclosure, we, we brought you on the podcast, you know, not just because – you're one of my favorite linemen that played in the last decade for the Hokies. Okay. Okay. And That's not just time. because of the, uh, you know, the, the four year starter on the, on the offensive line there and the only, uh, the first true freshman to start at left tackle for Beamer. Those are, those right. things are true and a good reason to have you on. Um, okay. but the, uh, the biggest here is the, uh, some of the Southside connection, Southside Virginia connection you've got, uh, with some of your family members there and uh-huh. the RVA connection that we've got now too. So. That was the big reason we wanted to have you on. I was I was telling Curtis when we were kind of spitballing earlier. I actually played uh, in high school against Orion when he was young. Wow. Was that's, uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah. yeah that's so that's so right we went there. to Halifax. He was he was GW there. So and obviously GW's been real good to the Hokies as well. So most definitely, most definitely. Yeah, I got family all in that area, man. So uh, Orion's a good friend of mine and good, you know, also obviously my cousin. But he's uh, definitely helped me with my decision to come into Tech. So. That was a that was a key name right there, Ronnie Cameron, man. Yeah, for us as Hokies, it was like yeah, and I never knew that. And Brian brought it up, and it was like I had to ask him the other week. I'm like, because Brian played guard. I'm like, Brian, do you ever have to deal with Orion? He's like, Nah, he was on edge. <laughs> he was dealing with one of his teammates. So, I was dealing um, with Chris McDuffie that ended up going to Clemson. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> but, um, that was a big dude. <laughs> And Brian, your short arms uh, didn't help out a lot. But, uh, John, again, <laughs> we really appreciate you being here. But, John, you know, everybody that's been a Hokie fan anytime in the last 10 years remembers you, the four-year starter, the freshman starter. Um, but we know you went out to the Arizona Cardinals for a while. But what else have you been up to since then? So um, the last three years, I actually moved to Richmond, Virginia. Um, definitely have some connections with going to tech. I majored in property management at Virginia Tech. Um, so I was able to, you know, have some connections here in Richmond and Richmond's definitely growing city. Um, I still got some buddies I hang out with. You know, I, I see Sam Rogers from time to time, Nigel. So when I first moved here, it was literally like being in college again. We all <laughs> hang out and I'm like, I can't get away from you guys. Uh, but, uh, that's what I'm doing now. Working at Dodson property manager right now. Uh, I'm assistant property manager at, at Dodson right now. Awesome. Awesome. Very mm-hmm. cool. Very cool, man. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, we, we always talk about all the kind of the RVA contacts that we have from, uh, from going and seeing games and things like that. So it's, it's good mm-hmm. to kind of connect a little bit more with some other Hokies around this area. So that's awesome. Most definitely. Most definitely. Hey, so, got my man, Brian here. He's out in Mechanicsville. I'm out in the West End. What part of the RVA you in, man? So I'm in the, uh, we just got an apartment in the uh, Manchester area. Oh, nice. Okay. Right yep, across yep. there. 
Yep, so I'm about five minutes from work, and, you know, I'm still young, so we still hit the town a little bit, so it's not too far from any, you know, everything, and uh, James River is literally right there, so it's a good time, man. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying my time here in Richmond for sure. Yeah, that's that's my walk-in to work. I actually work downtown in, um, for VCU, so okay. I, end up, okay. I actually park on uh, – on Mayo Island there and walk, walk into the city. So I'm like gotcha. halfway towards you there. <laughs> there you go. Gotcha. Gotcha. All nice. right. So, uh, this episode, we kind of wanted to focus in on, uh, on some of the things like fall camps. We got fall camp coming up, even though we don't know what's kind of what that season's going to look like yet. Right. But, right. but we know players are back starting to get after it. So, um, I just wanted to ask you, man, what, were some of those weeks leading up to fall camp like for you? Were you kind of just grinding, trying to get that conditioning up, or what was it like? Yeah, we were. Um, so I'll give you a little a little history here and what we used to do in Blacksburg. Um, so we, we were there all summer. There were no students. It was football. You literally work out. You have maybe two classes, and then you're done for the day. So it, it's, it was a little different grind. Um, you get up, get your workout done, um, but we all knew camp was coming. So – you know, we, we, we couldn't get used to that lifestyle because we were just <laughs> really just chilling. So as soon as, um, I would say we, you know, did our run tests and everything like that, we, we knew, okay, camp is about to come. You heard a little chirping in the locker room, everybody excited, ready to put on, finally get to put on pads, get to practice. Um, but yeah, I, I would say it was de- definitely exciting just to finally get done with just working out and finally get to football. Awesome. Awesome. So once camp got going, what was your favorite thing about it? And what was your least favorite thing about it? So me being office lineman, my favorite thing about camp every year was the food, man. They fed us, they fed us so much. <laughs> and the, the meals were, were, were crazy. We, you know, I think the first day of camp when we reported, it was always like a steak dinner and, you know, just it was just amazing. So every day was uh, you was expected to eat good. All right. uh, the least thing I would say would be the long nights. We would probably um, have to be up at five, and we we was at the facility to about ten. You know, if you if you was a freshman, you definitely were at the facility to about ten, or you can go you know to the dorms. Yeah. But if you lived off campus like I did, you kind of stayed put and slept in the locker room, and you know, because you, you didn't have that much time between meetings, treatment. Um, meals, you know, weights. So that, that day is just the longest day ever. Um, and you start to lose the count of, you know, what day it is because you just go through that cycle, you know, of waking up, eating, meetings, practice, uh, lift. It's just at one point you're just like, what day is it? Okay. Well, you got, you got three practices today. You got a lift you got to get in. Yeah, you got man. Meals, yeah, you got everything going on, right? It was difficult. Yeah, it, it was difficult. Uh, but I, I would say that was, that was probably my least favorite, the long nights. Um, because after practice, we would have some, you know, someone come talk to us or some type of meeting. And then you have to go to meetings after that. So you, after practice, you, you know, that happens. And then you got those meetings with someone that, you know, comes talk to you very, you know, gives inf- great information, whatever they had, you know, whoever, you know, was speaking that day. And then you go get yelled at in meetings. So it's just like, oh man, you know, so it, it was, it was definitely tough days, days, but it was definitely worth it. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> this, John. If not yourself, who was like your teammate that was just like the most jacked up that like, you gotta be like, calm down. You know what's coming, right? 
well, right off the bat, as Wyatt Teller is the first person that comes to mind. That kid was always just ready, man. Just every day. He that's honestly probably the one that got us through all through camp. With his energy and the way he just up at five AM, just you know, he'll come to your locker talking, you're like, Come on, Wyatt, man. You know, he was definitely <laughs> he was definitely one person that was jacked up. Um and I will also say the all the DBs, they they love to talk. You know, DBs like to like to run their mouth. So they they were probably um, the ones jacked up. And I'm sitting here like, you know, you guys don't really hit in practice, so you don't. <laughs> I understand why you're you're excited about this part, you know. But uh, I, I would I would definitely say wide in the DBs for sure. Nah, yeah, yeah, we got we got to let them know, John. You know, even when it's uh, you know, three quarters for for everybody else, Lyman always going full speed. 100%. We always hit full speed. Always hitting. Yep, <laughs> most definitely. And knowing all the DBs that have come through Virginia Tech and thinking the guys who were there, I can definitely just see them just chirping and just oh, saying things. But I, I can feel yeah. you sitting there like five in the morning, like I'm trying to get it going. Y'all got to bring it. Yeah, down. most definitely. I'm gonna get cranked up. Yep, yep, that's it. Yeah, man, they 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 love to talk, man. But that that brings the energy to practice. You know, you you like you like competing against them. They, I would say, they probably are the most competitive group on the field just because they can run their mouth. <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes, you know, somebody says something to you, it gets you jacked up, and you just got to get definitely. in a different zone. Get in a different Most zone. definitely. Most definitely. Yep. All right. So next thing, I, this is this is kind of close to my heart, and it kind of goes back to kind of what you were talking about with all the good food. Mm-hmm. What's the most weight you lost in a single practice? Oh, in a single practice. Wow. So it probably was during camp. Um I would say so. I'm not sure of a single practice, but I, my freshman year, I did come to camp overweight. Um, I, that's when Jeff Grounds was my coach. Okay. And uh, leading up to camp, he he's like, "How on earth did you come to camp overweight with all this running, you guys?" That I was like, "Coach, honestly, I've been eating anything I want." <laughs> like you said, you got that off time. You yep. don't know what to do. So what I was doing was eating. Um, <laughs> so we had a thing called Fat Camp. We had to go to my my freshman year, I, he he's put it just for me. It was me and the GA after every practice, and I lost I lost about um I think I I was came in at three fifteen terrible weight. Um, after camp, I was probably three hundred five, so I lost a good ten pounds. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, a lot, that's a lot to cut in like three to four weeks, man. Holy yeah, God. yeah, yeah. It was it's a lot, man. It's a lot. Let me ask this, because you talk about camp and, you know, we talk about cutting the weight and, you know, clearly you have the drills and then Mm -hmm. you have, you know, you start doing some inner squads and stuff like that. But was there any point in time during camp you like saw the light at the end of the tunnel where you kind of knew, like, was it like just with an installation? Was it where like, you know, okay, camp's about to be over. We're about to go play a game like your, your last season. You guys were versus Liberty. Right. You remember like. Okay, it's time. Yes, I do. Yep. So with Beamer, my first two years, um, you always knew when media day rolled around and that that fan appreciation day comes around, you're like, oh, okay, it's it's you know it's, the season's about to be here. Um, there there are some events that the whole team had to go to as far as you know signing and everything like that. And um, I know we did an event with uh, all all the sports, all the seniors were on the field, but the football team was already there, so. Um, during that time with Beamer, you knew that, you know, that the season was, was about to begin every year. That was kind of the light, you know, at the end of the tunnel saying, okay, camp's almost over. We only got maybe four more practices. Let's push through it, 
media day is done, you know. So that, I would say that was definitely uh, towards the end. With Fuente, it was a little different. Um, I would we do. I know. I think he still does it. Uh, the Saturday before your first game, so that previous week, you do a thing called mock game. Okay. He takes you. He takes you through exactly everything you're going to do the day before the game, and everything you do on game day. It, and I would say mock game is ser- more serious than <laughs> the actual game, because I, okay. I, our first our first year, you know, we thinking we we actually did the whole thing. We went to Hotel Roanoke and uh, did every everything. You know, we had meals, everything that we're supposed to do the week before. We we did that, um, or the week after. Sorry for that. Week one. We did that. So you knew, all right, the season's about to start. Um, you know, it's, and, then, and then we start doing the game prep literally that day after mock game. Nice. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, we did something similar. We always had a uh, – we would we would go and stay um, at a hotel just outside of town, and then we'd come back in and kind mm-hmm. of treat it like a game day, but we'd still have, you know, like kind of an inter-squad um, right. scrimmage on that Saturday as well, kind of something just to kind of say, all right, camp's over. Yeah. Inter-squad actually hit – Hit ones versus ones a little bit, and then mm-hmm. yep, you know, we'd exactly. actually have a day or two two off to kind of you know settle into the the normal game week there, um, exactly. other than watching some film or something like that. So yeah, that, that that's that's cool to hear. That's awesome. Most um, definitely. Mm-hmm. So uh, you talked about you know being a part of the Beamer and the and, and then being with, with Coach Fuente, and obviously with uh, new regime you got a new coach. So uh, what type of things did uh, did Coach Vice bring to the table that kind of helps you continue your success? So, so coach, coach Vice was a little different than um, my previous coaches. With Grimes and Cyril's, I was I would say I was a young player, so there was always someone older. Um, but Vice literally let me and Augie have the room. Um, we, you know, took control of meetings. Sometimes he was there. He was there. He, you know, he taught the playbook. Um, I want to say they probably got there in February of 2016. By March, we all knew the playbook. Um, I, I honestly would say Vice was extremely smart. He has like three, four degrees um, in what? I don't know, but, they, you know, he has them. <laughs> They're on the wall. Um, but he, he was really smart with breaking down film. Um, it was a different way to how we studied. Um, you know, it, I, I think Vice definitely brought that to the table. He kind of taught us how to lead just because he let us do it. Um, like I said, it was you know, there was players that were older than me, so they, they were kind of taking it over in the, in the room. Um but uh, my senior year, he definitely let me and Augie have it. So I, I would say definitely learned leadership from him um, and as well as, um, you know, how to break down film and, you know, defenders' stance and all that stuff. He, he brought a lot of those little tricks uh, to the room. Awesome, awesome. Did, um, do, you think, do you think a situation like that where, you know, you're kind of – passing leadership a little bit to the locker room. You think that's something that will work with all rooms or was that something that was a benefit? Cause having, having two guys that had been there and had all their starts under their belt, um, something right. that he felt he could do. I think, I think that, that, uh, experience definitely helped with me and Augie having the most experience in the room. Um, but that, that was a general thing with that new coaching staff that came in. Um, Fuente literally, he met with all the seniors and told us that this is your team. Um, we met we met with him almost every week, and that was just something different that he brought to the table because you know he was he wanted us to know that you guys are on the field together. So I want you guys leading it because when things get rough, they're gonna listen to you. I can you know talk to them blue in the face, but this is your team, 
and it was only nine of us. Um, so right off the jump, we had that communication. He wanted to, you know, gain our trust. We wanted to gain his because it was a new coach. We, just, we had Beamer for three years. Um, so I think all of that, that whole team, it was all about letting the stingers lead. And um, that, you know, that trickled down to the, to the years after as well. Awesome. awesome. That is something awesome to hear that you, you mm-hmm. a like that comes in there and trust you guys to lead. Um, and I'm, and, and that's, that's a learning experience. I mean, for anybody, Brian, you know, you play football. I mean, I've been in corporate world. You have a leader come in and do that for you. It, 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 it makes you feel good because you know, they trust you. Um, I want some technical stuff though. You went play left tackle three years. Coach Vice comes in. You switch to right tackle. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest difference in a change like that? Because I don't know. I'm not the football guy. Brian's the football guy. He's the one that played collegiately. I'm just a fan. Yes, but sir. something like that happens. Like what? What's the difference for you as a player? Well, I would I would say um, it, it definitely helps you more than it can hurt you because it it, it allows you to learn the the whole scheme. You're not just playing one position. Now you have to switch everything in your head. Um, so when Cyril's came in my sophomore year, he moved me to right. And then my junior year, I played right and left. Um, so I was able to learn the playbook completely and see different things that I wouldn't see on the right that I saw on the left, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I was thankful that that happened because I, I wasn't just stuck on one position. And when I you know, got to Arizona, I was able to get more reps at left and right. Um, because, you know, you have to be versatile if you, you know, want to play. So it, it was able to, I was able to get more film on the left, um, and the right. So it, it kind of helped me more than, more than it hurt me. So. Very awesome. nice. I, I like the way you mentioned it about learning both sides. Again, the, the guy here with me, he, he's taught me a lot. And as long as we've been friends, we've been friends 20 plus years. Um, gotcha. John and. Anytime, like on game day, I'm, I'm like texting him, why did they do that? And he explains it. I'm like, oh, I'll put my phone down. <laughs> I got my man up here. So uh, yeah. it's really good to hear that because I can see it from, from different views, understanding and learning deeper into the playbook when you say that. It's awesome. Right. And um, when Coach Vice came in, he was definitely was big on that. Everyone playing all positions. Uh, not saying that you have to play center, but <laughs> one goes, one guy goes down, I mean – that other person is next man up. So he wanted all five of us to be able to learn all positions um, and be able to, you know, be versatile on, on that office line. He wanted his best five out there at any given time, regardless of Most definitely. or whatever that's going Most on. Definitely. Yep. I got you. Let's talk about that a little bit since we're, you know, we, we've talked a lot about camp and some of your experiences. Let's talk about the current team a little bit. How do you feel about the current state of the offensive line at Virginia Tech? Man, I'm, I'm excited about these guys. Uh, they're young. And like I said, they've all played, it looks like. Last year I was kind of looking, and you saw a different number in there literally every week. Um, and I, I think that's big for an offensive line that the whole group can play. And, yeah. and um, injury injury is going to happen in college football world. Uh, we know that. It's unfortunate. But the next man's up. Um, and Vice definitely challenged us every week that the, the, the first five, that doesn't mean a thing. There's somebody that can take that spot that next week. So that was a little different, us uh, seeing that too. So it, it, it brought some competition in the room. Um, and we, you know, some people started one game and some people did in the next game. We understood it's cause it just all, you know, matters with that, that week of practice. Okay. And that, that brings, that brings competition out of everyone. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I, I I really liked what I saw with some of the ways that you know as the season went on, they started you know mixing matching some of the, the linemen try to get the best uh, best five out there, and mm-hmm. uh, you know I think the result is that we're going into 2020. Hopefully, as if the season can happen the way we want to, yeah. um, with you know five relatively seasoned guys, even though they're young, and then you got a, a Brock Hoffman coming in there. Um, right. After you know missing last year because of uh, everything that was going on with the NCAA, so no, I think it could really be a big year for them. I, you know, we probably got seven or eight guys that could, you know, legitimately you know see the starting lineup at some point in the season. Exactly, I'm uh, really excited about that uh, Brock Hoffman. Man. I'm I'm excited to see what he has. Uh, all the coaching staff have been you know raving about him, saying that they they can't wait to get him on the field. Um, so I'm I'm excited to see him you know put that to action. Yeah, it's going to be interesting seeing what they do with the shift there because, you know, you know, he's played center, he's played guard. You know, is he going to slide in at center? Is he going to slide in right? You know, right. What are they going to do? But it, it, I definitely think he's going to, you know, get on the field and uh, and show us something pretty big there. What's that for? I just like the way you talk about what Coach Vice does about playing all the positions. In, mm-hmm. in that, everybody got the reps last year because of that philosophy. And you just mentioned it. Now you're going in and saying, hey, white guard gets nicked. That's fine. We can right. do, we're going to see, we're going to keep rolling. We're going to keep running our offense. We're not going to have to worry about that position being any less. Right. Uh, in, right. in, as somebody that watches, man, people can say, oh, best wide receiver, best quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I want the best offensive line. Most definitely. Best offensive line. Yep. You know, man, you guys, right. y'all know when y'all were dominating people, how exactly. you could take the will. And I'll tell you the game I remember, and I'm, I'm coming a little personal side here. Brian, you were at that game. When you guys down at Duke, y'all got that punt late, y'all were deep. Y'all literally drove them off the ball. And you it was about after, like, the second first down. Their will was gone. They just, like, <laughs> we're not getting this ball back. They are modern. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Big time, man. I got chills thinking about that because <laughs> – you know, as a team, like there we mm-hmm. just don't want to see that offensive line walk on the field. And oh, definitely, know. that's correct. Yep. All right. Now, let me say this because let's shift a little bit to this season. You knowing the coaches, you you being a former player, you know we're looking at it's probably going to be an all conference with maybe one additional out of conference game, maybe one cross conference mm-hmm. game. Do you think this is going to change of how this particular coaching staff, like how they're going to approach the season? Um, I, I, I don't think it'll change. I think, um, cause honestly, you know, when Fuente came, he was all about ACC play anyway. Um, I mean, he, 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 we prepared for the games, but what was most important was our conference. Winning our conference was most important. Um, and at the end of the day that, you know, as a football team, that's what you want to do is win your conference and then you take the next step. Uh, um, so I, I think, I think it'll, it'll, I think he'll enjoy that more, um, being able to, you know, get into conference play if they do the all, you know, just the all ACC conference games. Um, but I think you do have to kind of prepare, uh, for all, all circumstances because you just don't know, you know, right? Everything's unknown. Um, and Wednesday's definitely big on controlling what you can control. I know he's in the present right now trying to get them boys ready for a season uh, until, you know, said otherwise. So it, it, it's kind of difficult as a coach, as a player. You just don't know what's going to happen. Um, as soon as they have that decision, I, I have no doubt that they'll be ready. That's awesome. Yeah, I, like I said, I, until we know what's, what's going to happen, it's going to, you know, you got to approach it like whatever's in front of you. You got to just right. 
Full exactly. steam ahead. Got to, got to take it one day at a time, one week at a time, one game at a time. So. Right. Right. So I know everybody has it, whether it's a, whether it's a game that, uh, just something really memorable happened or, you know, you graded out the best or whatever it is, but what was your most memorable game you played as a Hokie? All right. So I have two, um, and, and one in the Beamer era, one in the Fuente era. Okay. Uh, the first one would be Alabama. That was my first game as a college athlete. They just came off a national championship. Oh my. That was, that was my freshman year. And uh, we're in the Georgia Dome. We're playing, and I'm just like, I'm. First of all, we we get on the field. I'm just like, what are these boys eating? Because they were, <laughs> they were huge. They were. I was just like, Ooh. um, yeah, I'm, I'm about to play them as a freshman. You know, that's this is crazy. So that definitely gave me confidence uh, during that season, and then throughout my whole career, to say I played the best, my first game ever. Yeah. Um. So I, I can definitely compete. From here on out, you know, just Alabama's, you know, top tier program, um, them guys being, you know, so big and not, you know, I, I did pretty well. We lost the game. Um, but that's definitely one of the games I remember. Uh, one of, one of my, you know, best games that I could think of in that era. And then the second one would be UVA, uh, my senior year. Every year we were really close to UVA. Um, maybe about a field goal, we would beat them, barely beating them. And then just to beat them by, you know, 52 to 10, that was, that, that was, that was a great feeling, man. So not only did we have the cup, we also won the coastal that year too. So that, that was probably, uh, you know, one of my best games I, that I remember. That's awesome. Yeah. Kept the streak going, kept the, kept the cup and, uh, got to put it on UVA as a senior. Ain't nothing better yes. than that. Nothing better than that right there, I tell you. <laughs> and that was a home game, too, that year, wasn't it? It was, yeah, oh, it was. Even sweeter. Yep. Got to go, go back in the memory bank for that. And that Alabama, you talk about that Alabama, yeah. man. I mean, that was like John Allen. I don't think Payne mm-hmm. there. I mean, just off the national. And man, I, I give y'all credit because y'all fought that game so hard. It was one of those things watching it at home. It's like, we're not going to quit. Right, like, right, they're, they're, right. They're gonna have to knock us out. We won't. We're not gonna lay down on them. But uh, I do remember that game. Three thirty kick. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah. Go back to the memory. Yeah, big time game. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, you were under Coach Beamer, and you were under under Coach Fuente. Um, is there anything that either of those guys did or said that really stuck with you? Um, just maybe not from maybe a football standpoint, but just a life point. Um, yes, most definitely. Um, they, they, they both. I w- I'll start with Beamer. I'll go back to the freshman year. Um, he came up to me right before that game and asked me, you know, asked me if I was ready. Um, and I was like, of course, coach, I'm ready. And um, he told me that game that, that uh, you've prepared for this opportunity. Your preparation has made you ready for this opportunity. Um, and I, I take that to me today that, you know, uh, you have to be prepared for your opportunity. That's in life. Anything you do, um, you know, your next opportunity will come. You just have to be prepared for it. It was it was simple. He didn't, you know, he was a man of a few words, but that really stuck with me with, you know, him coming to a freshman to, to tell me that, that you're ready. You know, we trust you. We're, you we, um, we we saw what you've done on camp. Now just go play. Um, and then with Wente, it was similar. Um, he used to say all the time, play the next play. So meaning, uh, you know, you get beat one play, you still got more plays to go. Um, and that's the same thing in life as well. I take that with me every day. 
Um, when I'm at work, I, I think about things, you know, things that obstacles that come through. You have to play the next play. You have to get yourself up and get ready for what's next. You can't, you know, just be on that one play that just happened. You have to play the next one. So yep. don't don't let a pass down beat you this down. <laughs> yep, most definitely. Yep, that's it. That's it. Absolutely. Um, John, uh, we really thank you for joining us today. Most definitely. Uh, most definitely, man. Again, we want to thank John McLaughlin for joining us today. Hey, Brian, we talked about it beginning of the program about what the conference could look like. We mentioned it to John about how he thinks the coaches will prepare. But let me ask you this. If the ACC goes to an eight-game schedule, but let's say it makes some sort of agreement with the SEC and the Big 12 to play one out-of-conference game, who do you want that out-of-conference opponent to be? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, let's see. Give me give me Jimbo Fisher and the uh, Texas A&M Aggies. Let's uh, – Let's go out there, or or they can come visit us, or we can figure out something else, and we'll uh, we'll we'll knock Jimbo down a, a couple notches after uh, some of the troubles he's had in the last couple of years. So, oh, he gonna kick a man while he's down. <laughs> kick a man while he's down. Absolutely, I will. I think I'm torn here, Brian, because I want revenge on that ugly orange down in Knoxville. I want revenge. We shouldn't have turned the ball over that many times back at Bristol. And they still chirp about it. But then there's that team over in West Virginia. Ah. That, buddy, when, when we were in school, you, it was nasty. It, we never got, to, I never got to go to one. I can't remember if you have or not. But you know what? We took them down up at FedEx and we got them in a few years. Let's give, them, give me Tennessee. Give me Tennessee. Okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, Brian, anything else to put a uh, bow on this tonight? No, I think we did pretty good here, buddy. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I am Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okay.